having a few technical issues this morning. <laughs> it's great to have you with us. It's always nice to start with um, a bit of a smile in the morning. So these are signs that um, people have taken <laughs> photos of. Um, they're obviously created with a reason and a good goal in mind. Um, that one there in the middle is probably my favourite. The patio is currently clo- currently not open because it's closed. Seems like an important sign to have. <coughs> um, they, they're created with a good goal in mind, but once they're printed and they, they p- get put up, they seem to be not as purposeful as intended. And they're what we might gently call a bit of a fail. We've been um, in a short series, three-week series here, looking at what the Bible says on some, some different topics. And we've looked at families and at friendship. And this morning, we're going to spend some time reflecting on failure. So what does the Bible say? about failure? Well, on the one hand, a lot, and on the other hand, not so much at all. And hopefully, that will make more sense as we walk through this topic together this morning. So you join me as we pray. Lord God, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that you would speak to each one of us. Lord, we pray that you would comfort us, challenge us, restore us, and encourage us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, failure. Failure can be defined as a lack of success, an omission of a required action, something not working as it should or not accomplishing its intended purpose. Failure and success are kind of these two halves of the same picture that define one another. Success is not failing and failing is when you don't succeed. And both are subjective. How we understand failure and success depends on our values, our priorities and our goals. Stephen said earlier, like his picture of success is that you achieve what you've set out to do. So what you've set out to do is quite important for that picture. What that means is that failure for you might feel that way and for someone else it might not feel. The same thing might happen, it might not feel like failure for them. So this morning, generally, we're going to think about failure as a construct that refers to something that isn't working or isn't achieving what it should. It's not doing what it's supposed to. And taking this understanding on one level, after Genesis 2, the whole of the Bible describes a world that experiences a sense of failure. And it tells a story of God setting it right, restoring the world to its intended purpose. The big picture of the Bible invites us to understand that the whole world is currently subject to and experiences a sense of failure. It's uplifting this morning, isn't it? (laughs) It's a nice place to start. So this is the first thing I want to share with us this morning, that failure is a part of our experience. Has anyone in the room not ever failed? Ah, awesome. (laughs) If there was someone that put up their hand, I was like, well, you should come and give this message. Um... Failure is part of our experience. And with that in mind, I wanted to think about some key personalities that we come across in the Bible, the biblical story. So if we think about Abraham, great hero of faith. On a couple of occasions, he lies about being married to Sarah and he's not, he's not being a husband in protecting her from potential harm and abuse in that culture. Joseph rose to become the prime minister of Egypt. Amazing success story. But his story begins as a young man who flaunts the favouritism his father shows him, who lacks tact and diplomacy, so much so that his brothers sell him into slavery. 
<laughs> not so successful perhaps. Moses, a great leader, but he starts his adulthood by committing murder and running away. David, brave, intelligent, a warrior who's anointed king, a success story. He would be the best of the kings that Israel has. But David lets power go to his head and he commits adultery with another man's wife and then has that man murdered on the battlefield. Everyone, everyone experiences success and failure. If you think about your own life and the lives of the people that you know, we've all experienced disappointment and a lack of achievement and success at some point in time. And that's tough when we live in an, an achievement-oriented culture. In our world, success is prized and failure is hidden. And social media has only exacerbated this. Perfect holidays, flawless meals, faultless children and polished selfies are the images that stream into our lives, showing us just how much success our friends are experiencing and implying that their lives are picture perfect with nothing out of place. The reality is their lives are just like yours and mine, filled with both success and failure. So knowing that we all experience failure, failure can help us grow. There's a lot of um, child psychology out there that encourages parents to frame and foster that experience of failure as positive for children, as a learning experience. And I agree with that. But I also think it's okay for us to recognise that there are times that we fall short. And to own that that doesn't feel great. But it does offer us an opportunity to recognise our need for God. And so this is the, the second thing I want us to see this morning about failure. Failure is the space where we recognise our need for God. In 2 Kings 5, <clears throat> we find the story of Naaman and it begins like this. The Bible verse is going to be on the screen, but um, I'm going to kind of retell the story as we go. The king of Aram had, a great, had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. So here is a guy who knows success. He's a mighty warrior who's been elevated to the highest position within his country's army. And the king of the nation respects him. He's arrived. But this guy knows what it feels like to be less than perfect. He has leprosy, a skin disease that would eventually take his life, and despite, despite his strength and bravery. Naaman has a weakness, for him, a failing. The story goes that through one of his battles, Naaman took a young Israelite girl as a slave, and she worked as a maid to his wife. And one day, this young girl says to her mistress that there is a prophet in Israel that could cure Naaman of his leprosy. And Naaman takes the word of this young girl and goes to the king of Aram and asks permission to travel to Israel. The king agrees, and he sends him with a letter to the king of Israel. And just quickly, two things about this that I want to flag that we'll come back to. These powerful men, the commander of the army and the king of Aram, are taking the counsel of a young foreign slave girl. And the king writes to the king of Israel, not to the prophet. They're the two things. The king of Israel receives this letter and he has a meltdown because he can't cure leprosy. 
And he thinks that the king, the king of Aram is picking a flight, wanting to go to war with him. So the prophet Elisha hears about all of this and tells the king of Israel to send Naaman to him. And Naaman comes to Elisha. Elisha the prophet doesn't even go outside his house. He sends some messengers to Naaman that he should go to the Jordan River and wash seven times and then he'd be cured. Naaman is outraged. Do these people not know who he is? And the Jordan River, it's not even the cleanest river in the region. This makes no sense to him at all. But Naaman's servants speak reason to him. They suggest that if the prophet had told Naaman to do something incredibly difficult, he'd have done it. So why not do something easy? He's got nothing to lose. Before we kind of go to the end of the story, I just want us to see some things together. So Naaman and the king of Aram, powerful and successful, following the advice of a young foreign female slave. You couldn't get more powerless, less successful, and appear to be a person of failure than having those four descriptors, young, female, foreign, slave. Why is it that they listen to her? She offers them something, I think, that they see would make their life complete, their life whole, that would enable them to live life well. And she offers it to them with certainty. God can cure you. The king of Aram and Naaman have assumptions about God and how God works to bless people. The richest and most powerful are those that are favoured and blessed in their eyes. So God is obviously with the most successful person in the culture and this would be the king of Israel. He therefore must be the closest to God and he would be the one that can ask God for this favour to heal Naaman. But this is not how God works. The king of Israel has a meltdown because he recognises that he cannot cure leprosy and what we see is that worldly success is not the mission of God or of God's people. Naaman also assumes that the earning or the working for the cure of leprosy will be hard, take all of his strength and perhaps lots of money. In the end, we'll see in a minute, (coughs) Elisha gives him a simple task to complete. Go and wash yourself seven times. Not hard. And he refuses any payment because this is how God works. This is a picture of grace. The end of that story is that Naaman is cured and in that moment he professes his love for God and declares that he will worship the God of Israel alone from now on. Naaman would not have come to God if he'd been able to achieve success on his own. And his understanding of success and achievement is turned upside down in this story. What becomes clear is that God is at work through the weak, the powerless, the slaves, the simple things in this story. And this connects us to the third thing that I'd like to share this morning, that failure is often the space where God tends to use us. In our weakness and the points at which we recognise our need for God is where God works in us, but it's also where he works through us. Success is um, problematic. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like that. It's probably not something we normally think about success, but success breeds in us pride and self-sufficiency. 
More than any other experience, people who experience success are more likely to see them at themselves as the ruler and controller of their life, that they make things happen. You've probably encountered people like that in your life. And success can easily become an idol that our striving for it replaces God in our lives. And failure, when you think about it, keeps us humble and helps us to know that we cannot accomplish everything in our own strength. The paradox is that as we recognise our weakness and failure and our need for God, God will use that very thing to strengthen us and accomplish more than we could hope or imagine. If we reflect back on some of those heroes of faith that I brought up earlier, we have Moses. He's not eloquent. He says to God, I can't speak for you. God gives him a role as a spokesperson on his behalf. He takes the word of God to the people and the words of the people back to God. Joseph gets into a lot of trouble as a kid. He lacks tact and diplomacy. God places him in a position as Prime Minister, requires him to daily exercise diplomacy, judgment. David abuses power and control. It's his weakness. But God upholds him as king. In weakness, God has the greatest capacity to use us and have us to continue to surrender and rely on him. And that's not to say that um, God will find the things that you are the worst at and ask you to do that. (laughs) I don't think that's the case. Absolutely not. God gifts us and skills us and crafts us to be useful in his work. But what he asks of you will be more than you. It will be beyond you. Because it's important that we attribute God the glory and not to ourselves. It is God at work through us. And this is faithfulness. And the Bible is much more interested in faithfulness than it is in success or failure. So while the Bible records a lot of failure, if you read through, there's a lot of stories of people who mess it up. There's not necessarily judgment in that all success is good and all failure is bad. God is interested in faithfulness. The passage that Amy read for us this morning outlines the picture of living life well. And this life will include moments of success and moments of failure. We're required to, to respond to God in faithfulness throughout that. So let me read it for you again with that picture in mind. Always be full of joy in the Lord. Say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. God will tell you, sorry, tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds everything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, and then the God of peace will be with you. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but You didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. 
I know how to live on almost nothing and with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or a little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. In light of all experiences, failures and successes, God asks us to fix our thoughts on what is honourable, what is right, pure, lovely, admirable. To focus our energy on putting things into practice that help us follow after Jesus. And then we will know God's peace. And it's this peace that guides our response in all circumstances, whether we have plenty or little, whether we are um, right now experiencing failure or experiencing success. God asks us to be faithful in light of failures that we experience and he asks us to be faithful in light of successes that we experience. Just got a couple of um, questions for us to reflect on this morning together. So how do you respond to failure and to success? Maybe yours, but also that of your children and grandchildren. Sometimes it's harder. It's harder when someone you are close to, you see them not doing so well. Your parents, maybe. Your employees. What if someone who works for you has a bit of a fail? How do you respond to that? Where might God be able to use you if you surrendered your weaknesses to him? What might that look like? And this week, how can you focus on whatever is lovely? Just take some time and I'm just going to have some reflection music while we um, respond to God. You can write, um, write something down on your response cards if you like. Um, just take some time with God. This is between you and God. And um, I'll come back and lead us in prayer together. Mm-hmm.